Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, it's Latif from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. This is All of It. I'm Allison Stewart, live from the WNYC studios in Soho. Thank you for spending part of your day with us. I'm really grateful you're here. On today's show, after decades in the industry, costume designer Ellen Mrazhnik is nominated for an Oscar for the first time for her work on Oppenheimer, which included collaborating with hat makers in New York, Hollywood, and Italy to find the perfect scientist's iconic fedora. She joins us for our series, The Big Picture. And we'll continue this month's full bio, Althea, the life of tennis champion Althea Gibson. In this installment, we arrive at the moment when Gibson made history as the first black tennis player to win a Grand Slam title. And we'll discuss what makes the picture-perfect plane movie and we'll take your calls that is the plan so let's get this started with our new robot co-workers artificial intelligence in the workplace Almost no one had heard of ChatGPT before December of 2022 when its parent company, OpenAI, launched the first free-to-use and publicly available version of its now ubiquitous machine learning chatbot, and people had some good fun with it. Early on, though, there were some serious and troubling discussions about what this new technology portends. People worried that their jobs might become obsolete if artificial intelligence tools could do those jobs for cheaper. The flip side of that, though, some argues, is that it could make some jobs easier. Not enough time has passed to know how this stuff will really impact our lives and work, but we just wanted to take your temperature. Now that we've lived with Jet. Chat GPT for a little over a year. We want to check in with you, listeners, to see how this technology has impacted your life, particularly your work life. Give us a call if Chat GPT or any other AI tool is now a st- staple of your workflow. How has it changed the way you think about your job? Our number is 212 WNYC has it made your job easier or maybe it's been less of a useful tool in your case than you had hoped or maybe you're a little skeptical of the new tools but higher up seem to want you to be using them. 212-433-9692, 212-433-WNYC. You can call in or you can join us on the radio by that, like calling in that number. Yeah, that's it. And then you can text us that number at, as well, 212-433-9692. Joining us now to help take those calls, please welcome Lauren Larson, freelance writer, most recently of a piece in The Verge called In Defense of Busy Work, Thanks to AI, rote tasks are ripe for automation, but is that really a good thing? Hi, Laura. Hi, Lauren. thanks so much for having me. Lauren, oh, yeah, so glad to have you. So we're a year into this discourse, a little over a year. Why do you think it's important to talk about how AI is being used for certain type of tasks? So these busy work tasks, like most people are think AI is going to take my job. You're talking about busy work. I think that eliminating busy work has become sort of a marketing line for a lot of AI tools. And when we hear it, it sounds amazing. But thinking through it a little more, I began to wonder whether there were facets of busy work that were actually really helpful for us, whether psychologically or professionally. Hmm. So tell me, when you talk about busy work, what do you mean? 
Well, when most people think of busy work, they think of a very particular kind of task, which is something that a manager sort of foists upon you that is really, really purely non-essential, like kind of fake work or performative work. And I use the example of, I used to work in retail and we would have to refold things that had already been folded earlier that day uh, to appear busy because customers were more comfortable approaching you to ask for advice uh, if you looked busy, which is interesting. Um, But most people use it more generally to just talk about things that are really rote and boring and kind of feel mechanical to do or make you feel robotic as a person. What makes AI suitable for this kind of work? Well, I would use the example of transcription, which Mm -hmm. journalists transcribe um, audio. You, You make audio into text to make it easier for yourself to work, to make it easier for fact checkers to read. And... That is something in my job that immediately fell to busy work because it's just so much easier to put that on a robot and kind of it it takes them like three minutes to do and it takes a person, you know, 30 hours to do. And so it's things like that that really do kind of feel just just like a direct exchange of time for a result that's really, really kind of easy, easier for a robot that are so easily automatable. How did the people you talked to for this article think about busy work and and why do they think it needs defending from AI? Well, I think what was interesting to me was that in all these conversations across different industries, everybody sort of landed at the same anxiety, which is if my if parts of my job get easier, are the harder parts of my job going to become more of my work day? And I thought that was so compelling, like our panic that Hmm. if busy work takes two hours of our day and an AI tool is able to automate that, then what are we going to be expected to do with those two hours that we've saved? Are we going to be asked to to continue to do more focused work? Like the fantasy is that we're going to spend that time sort of innovating. And I'm not sure I'm capable of that. I think I would spend that time on WebMD researching my imagined maladies. (laughs) My guest is Lauren Larson. She wrote a piece for Verge called In Defense of Busy Work Thanks to AI. Wrote tasks are ripe for automation, but is that really a good thing? Listeners were asking you, how has artificial intelligence, how have these tools been affecting you in your work? Doesn't mean have you used AI to help manage your home or has it helped you in your personal life some way? Let's talk to Matt from Homedale, New Jersey. Hi, Matt. Thanks for calling. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, so, you know, it's been very interesting for me. I run a, I manage a cybersecurity engineering team for a large American technology company, and it's pretty much revolutionized everything that we do. Um, For me, managerially, it's really helped me with stream of conscience. I'll just actually dictate out loud to my phone whatever I'm thinking or a complex technical issue, and I'll ask it to help me translate that into an issue that a sales team can understand that's not technical or help me create a meeting agenda for my engineers to discuss and make sure that it's fostering open conversation about the ways to configure different technologies and keep customers happy. Um, And sometimes we even use it for writing emails or even sometimes prompts for getting recognition to the team um, that is standardized among the company. So we use it a lot. And in some cases, my team uses it too much, and I've had to pull them back. Oh, when was a time when you thought like, hey, guys and gals and non-binary folks, um, pull it back? 
Yeah, so uh, with my, you know, some of my team is very fond of AI, but they use it too much all the time. Um, And so one of the times that we saw it, one of the times that we saw it was that he was using it to write emails, very simple, like, hey, how are you doing? What time can you meet or something like that? And it felt like it was written by an English butler because it was so polite and so robotic, right? So (laughs) there was an over-dependence and over-reliance on it when there's still that human element that our customers are looking for from us. And there's been a few times where we've seen that. And also, you need to be careful what data you're putting in there. If it's proprietary to your company, if it's Mm -hmm. your customer's sensitive information, how that data is stored, how it's protected, what happens to it, even using my company's controls, is something that we're still very weary of being in cybersecurity. How has your team's reliance on AI changed the way they relate to other humans on the team? You know, not so much, right? I think when we talk about some of the people that have been using it too much, I think they've actually gotten some sideways looks from their team members, albeit, you know, remotely over video conference, right? So uh, one member in particular is very commonly using it, so we always know when he's used it and when he's not because his, <laughs> his grammar isn't always the best, right? Um, so I, I don't think it's affected the dynamic too much. But again, when you start pumping in proprietary information or the secret sauce or uh, customer network information that's very sensitive, sometimes your other colleagues in cybersecurity might say, hey, did you think twice before putting that information in there, right? So um, you don't want to make things too easy, and you do want to be careful. Obviously, data is pretty much the most valuable thing on the planet these days, so um, you need to be sensitive where you put it and how you store it. Matt, thank you so much. You were a great fount of information. Let's talk to Antonio from Queens. Hi, Antonio. Hi, how's it going? Going great. Um, I'm a developer. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I'm a developer, and essentially uh, I use this software uh, made by GitHub, uh, now Microsoft, called Copilot. And basically, as I'm coding, uh, you know, it helps me out. And this is an example of that I'd like to share. Essentially, one day I didn't know the API for um, a certain piece of software, and I just asked uh, Copilot in, you know, in my IDE, which is an editor. That's what developers use to code. And uh, like, like I was talking to somebody, chatting with somebody, and I said, "How would you do this?" You know, and it not only did it, you know, punch up the code with the right API. Uh, it explained it. It do- like self-documented it to me, like I was a five-year-old child, which was great. <laughs> and oh, Antonio, thanks for the the advice. And let's talk to Esther real quick. Um, Esther's calling from Brooklyn. And hi, Esther. Hi. So um, I have a studio in um, at Brooklyn Army Terminal, and um, oh, sorry, somebody texting me. Um, I'll turn off my ringer. To help. Um, I, so, so an artist um, from another country came to um, to talk to me about doing a grant, and um, she she's not a native English speaker, so she used chat. You know, she used AI to write the grant, and then she said it to me, and I was editing it, and it was just sort of hilarious the way. The way AI perceived what we do, and um, and and, but I was interesting to like see the future as I was hearing about how that's working for people. Also, I had 
have been a professor, and I am really glad not to have to deal with that issue with plagiarism. I'm really glad that I'm not. Yeah, we, we, you know what? We've got a lot of uh, teachers on the line. We'll get to them in just a little bit. So, Lauren, you know, something that, that you had in your piece, which was a great piece of writing on your part, you said, populating a spreadsheet may be the closest thing we have to leisure. And I know that was meant tongue-in-cheek, but I think so. Um, when you talk about the benefits of, of busy work, when you talk about the time that people take, let's give them time to think. What do people tell you about, like, if you take my busy work, I, I, I actually really enjoy it. I was so interested to hear from people who have really big ideas while doing busy work. Um, one woman described how she works in, for a global health nonprofit, and she described how while doing data entry, she sometimes puts together real-world conclusions that she wouldn't ordinarily notice if she weren't that close to the data. Mm. And she said that there's things that AI can can miss. So I think that we we shouldn't we shouldn't neglect busy work as time for actual productive thought. But I also was so intrigued by um, Floria Mark, who wrote a book called Attention Span, had previously done a study um, suggesting that people are actually happiest when they're doing rote work during the day. It's low stress. And she was referring more to like puzzles and knitting and sort of quote unquote work versus busy work. But I think that for many of us in the office, we have difficulty carving out time during the day for non-focused tasks like that, whether it be puzzles or what have you. And for a lot of us, busy work is that time, like building invoices in my case is, is sort of therapeutic in a way and peaceful. I know when I had the, uh, the AI prompt, try to read my voicemail or my email at work. I was like, no, I don't, I don't want to eat Cortana. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> I get something out of reading the email. Like I understand text. I understand like, oh, this maybe sparked something off of my brain as opposed to, um, Sorry, I don't mean to hurt your feelings, Cortana, but, you know. <laughs> Let's talk to Mary from Fairfield County, uh, Connecticut. Hi, Mary. Hi there. You're on the air. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to ask me a question. Sorry. Um, I just, I absolutely love, love, love ChatGPT and not for just routine stuff. That's almost a, a no-brainer. But what you can do if you get really creative with it, the output you get from it is really fantastic. Just as an example, I volunteer for an organization called Literacy Volunteers of Southern Connecticut. And I'll plug it a little to say if anybody wants to join us, please let us know. We always need more volunteers. Anyway, we teach adults who are living in the United States who have come here from other countries like Ukraine, Afghanistan, Turkey, all parts of the world. And we help them learn English so that they, who are generally very well-educated in their own countries, can get upgraded jobs from the menial work that they tend to do when they first come here into the United States. And as a recent example, we have, um, we have a, an Asian language speaker. I won't identify which language because I want to protect privacy. Mm -hmm. But this, this person wanted to have a way of speaking better with her import-export job colleagues. And she could speak basic English very well, but she wanted a list of idioms that would help her sound more American and more savvy when she did her job with her overseas colleagues. So I went to ChatGPT and asked it to, to generate a list of idioms that could be used by an Asian speaker of English. I'm reading my prompt here. 
uh, to communicate with overseas vendors in the import-export business. And instantly, within seconds, I got cutting corners, ballpark figure, closing the teeth, dotting the I's, bite the bullet, in the same boat, et cetera, et cetera. So then I thought, well, I was stupid. I should have asked it to generate sentences. So I went back and said, can you now generate a list of 20 sentences using those idioms in the import-export business? And I got immediately 20 sentences. We need to ensure that we're not cutting corners when it comes to quality control. Could you give me a ballpark figure for the cost of shipping? It's a tough market out there, but we'll bite the bullet and lower our prices to stay competitive, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you can, just, you can do things with this particular um, kind of input that you can't do, that I haven't been able to find a way to do uh, any other way. And uh, we also, for example, we help people pass tests, like the driver's test. We have a Turkish speaker who was having trouble passing the driver's test because she couldn't understand the kinds of instructions that were being uh, given to her. So I went to ChatGPT and asked it to generate a conversation between a driving, test, a driving tester and a foreign language speaker of English that was taking the driving test and having trouble understanding. And right away, I got a whole dialogue from the driving instructor or the driving tester to the, the driving student. And the woman who had failed her driving test twice in a row used this and went back and passed the driver's exam. So these things are fantastic tools to be used to help people. For me, they are anyway. Um, and I could give you a whole lot of other examples, uh, not teaching English, yeah. but other examples of how they can help people. But I've talked long enough. Well, Mary, you had a lot to say. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your call. Listeners, now that we've listened, we've lived with Jet GPT for a little over a year, we wanted to check in with you. How has this technology impacted your life, particularly your work life? 212-433-9692, 212-433-WNYC. Has it made your job easier? Or maybe it's a little less helpful in the case that you had hoped for? 212-433-9692. We'll have more with Lauren Larson, writer for Verge, who wrote the piece, In Defense of Work, Thanks to AI. I wrote tasks are ripe for automation, but is it really a good thing? We'll take your calls after the break. This is All of It on WNYC. My guest is Lauren Larson. She wrote a piece in The Verge called In Defense of Busy Work, Thanks to AI, wrote tasks are ripe for automation, but is really a good thing. Got us to thinking about how are people using ChatGPT? How are people using uh, AI in the workplace? You know, you spoke with Daniel Lee, an MIT professor, Lauren, who has studied the impact of AI in workplaces. In the abstract to her research paper called Generative AI at Work, she and her co-authors note that using AI's tool, and we'll read the quote exactly, disseminates the best practices of more able workers and helps newer workers move down the experience curve. It also said they found the AI tool improves customer sentiment and increases employee retention. So, Lauren, what metric or metrics would you use to decide, you know, whether or not this is done well or poorly in implementing AI tools? Is it about personal satisfaction? Is it about the bottom line? Oh, that's such an interesting question. I think personal advancement um, would be the metric that I would use. And I'm glad you tapped in Danielle Lee because she's fascinating. And something that she brought up as a pro of AI, which Mary sort of touched on in her call, is that 
workers can use ChatGPT, for instance, to kind of find a script for how to be in the workplace and how to advance in the workplace. So like a lot of people use ChatGPT for say cover letters or for like writing an email. And Danielle Lee and I discussed how these tools can help workers to sort of mimic this kind of schmoozy speech that we kind of learn. A lot of us learn it in like liberal arts colleges, mm-hmm. like how to BS and that that can be a skill that you can use to sort of advance yourself. So I think that as long as AI is helping you to move forward in your career, why not? We have two calls, two teachers with two different points of view. Let's start with Brian first. Hi, Brian. Brian's calling in from Berkeley, New Jersey. Hi, how are you? Doing great. So um, I called to talk about the positive uses of AI because I know it's a problem in education, and I totally agree, but I think when we show our students how to use these tools, they tend to use them correctly versus when we demonize them, they tend to roll their eyes and use it anyways. Um, So what I like to do is I like to teach students that AI is a terrible generator. If you try to ask it to write an essay, it's going to tend to make things up or say things that don't make sense versus if they write the essay first, put in their rough draft, ask it to edit for specific things like flow, then read what it gives you um, and edit that back to what you want it to be, it's actually a really great tool for editing. Uh, And I kind of compare it to, I'm a millennial, I kind of compare it to when I was a kid, the big demon was Wikipedia, which, yeah, it's not a great tool to source from, um, but it is a great tool to kind of organize your ideas, get a basic idea of what you're studying, to then take to great research Um, and be able to have a better idea of what you're researching. And actually, Wikipedia also usually has a few great um, journals and articles cited within the article. So Wikipedia is a great tool when you know how to use it, and I think of AI a lot like that. It's a great tool for students when they know how to use it, and if we teach them how to use it, they'll tend to use it better. Brian, thank you for calling in. Now we've got Matthew from Spring Lake who feels a bit differently. Hi, Matthew. Hi, Allison. I'm calling in. I, I, I think it's the tool that uh, defeats originality and is um, that I have had students uh, submit essays that are completely AI generated and it's not their work. So I, I um, but I was listening to Brian. Brian makes some very good points, but I, um, it, it's a, it, it's a tool that I, as a professor, I need to help students guide students to use it correctly but i i i i'm very i'm very reluctant to to use it because i think it it's just a, a another way to plagiarize a paper thank you for calling in we had a lot of that a lot of that's that back and forth about it's a good tool but about plagiarism is, is a big issue. Something that uh, Danielle Lee from MIT also talked to you about was how to best use the extra time that you might get back if an AI tool is letting you get your busy work done faster. You mentioned this a little bit earlier. As different workplaces implement this technology in different ways, how do you think they should consider what workers do with that extra time? Well, again, a lot of these conversations landed in the same place. And in this case, that place was we should have a four-day work week. And, you know, if we're cutting out all these tasks and minimizing all these tasks, why do we need to be at work for five days? And I think that that's really important. And Danielle Lee and I landed on the 
possibility that this becomes the responsibility of managers, which for some people could be really great. If you've got a great manager who's really concerned with worker health, then excellent. If you've got a manager who sees this as a tool to make more work, um, then that could be really bad. So I think we're in kind of a tough spot, honestly. <laughs> Let's talk to Kevin from Brooklyn. Hey, Kevin, thanks so much for calling in. Hi, thanks for taking my call. You're on the air. Um, I use, yeah, I use ChatGPT pretty much constantly. I use it all the time throughout the day for big tasks and small ones. I use it for professional things and I use it for like home life stuff. Um, I just used it to translate something for a cleaner that I hired today that I, I couldn't remember the, the words in Spanish. So I just used it quickly to, to translate for me and it was perfect. Um, I also use it for professional things like software engineering. Um, I'm a very experienced software engineer, but I get there's a lot that I can look up and, and learn on my own, but there's so much I don't know. Mm. Um, and so the way I look at ChatGPT is kind of like, it's not an expert on anything, but it's basically average at everything. And I'm below average at so many things that if I'm in a new domain or something that I don't know, I can immediately talk to like an average thing or an average, you know, uh, um, I wouldn't call expert, but um, capable AI person thing. Um, <laughs> anyway, I'm very clear eyed about its limitations, though. You know, I yeah. try to I try to be aware of like when it can hallucinate. Kevin, thank you so much. And Charlie, Charlie's been holding for a little while. Hi, Charlie. Thanks for calling in. Hey, thank you so much. Um, I do have time to talk because I'm someone who would love to do busy work. I've been looking for a job for almost three months now after uh, one of the big mass layoffs at Disney. And I've noticed that AI is really kind of upending uh, and increasing the frustrations of people looking for work because you're taught to have an original, you know, grab them by the eyes sort of resume, but everyone is using chat GPT and AI to rewrite their resumes and everything's kind of looking the same. But also um, I've been looking for work for going on four months now, haven't been offered one single interview off after almost 200 applications. Um, and the majority of those applications are being read by AI or it's like uh, recruiters mm. or HR teams are simply just letting AI giving them buzzwords to, you know, comb through. So a lot of, and I've been going to different, you know, bar meetups with people who are also unemployed, um, due to recent layoffs, um, and it's just we feel like we're just throwing our applications into the sun and not one single human is is even giving us the time of day to look at our hard earned hard worked resumes and cover letters. So I really think it's a detriment. AI is a detriment to um job seekers and will be a detriment to employers trying to find rare one of a kind hires like myself. Charlie, wishing you all kinds of good luck going forward, but that's that human touch that he's talking about um before we wrap up we have to say that chat gpt made headlines yesterday that a number of articles reporting that chat gpt users report the software seems to be going a little bit hairwire and it would forget the language it's working on and respond in sort of a spanglish one user told um it was in the room with them another uk bass uh is say based publication the independent had a user ask it to play jazz albums to listen to on vinyl and chat gbt devolved into shouting happy listening happy listening happy listening and talking all kinds of nonsense um when you think about this 
I guess ChatGPT can be unpredictable as well. And we're looking into fixing it. That's what they say anyway. That's what uh, AI, open AI. So what sense do you have for what it means for us for serious company willing to work when results like this happen? Well, so we're not using ChatGPT completely to write our cover letters. We're (laughs) we're proofreading a little bit. I think it's very soothing that it is fallible. And that gives me a lot of hope. I think that we should never expect tools like this to completely subsume our jobs because you do need some human oversight. So I think this is a really positive moment. (laughs) The name of the piece is In Defense of Busy Work, Thanks to AI, wrote Tasks Are Ripe for Automation. But is that really a good thing? It was written by Lauren Larson, Larson, a freelance writer for The Verge. Thanks to everybody who called in with their stories. And thanks to you, Lauren. Thank you.